Hello, I'm Kevin Fernando, a GP partner at North Berwick Health Centre near Edinburgh and also Education Director of GP Notebook Education. Welcome to our new GP Notebook podcast, a bite-sized regular chat for all of us working in primary care. Podcasts will cover clinical tips and hacks as well as hot topics to help make our lives a wee bit easier but ultimately to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. Today, we'll be covering obstructive sleep apnea in children. So we see Michaela in surgery today. She's four years old. She's been brought in by her parents. Her parents are very concerned because Michaela has been very restless and she snores loudly throughout the night. During the day, she's very irritable and also hyperactive. No past medical history of note, though you do notice her weight is on the 90th centile. You examine her and she is feral. She's tearing up your room. She's in and out of your doctor's bag. But you don't notice any obvious dysmorphic features. Her ears are okay. Her terminates were a little bit swollen. You try and examine her throat. She tries to bite your fingers off. But you do notice she has large tonsils, which are not infected or inflamed. She's an only child. She attends nursery. And there have been no concerns highlighted about her developmental milestones. So what's going on here? Is this simple snoring? Is this allergic rhinitis? Is this obstructive sleep apnea? Is this laryngeal hypertrophy? Or is this ADHD? Not a week goes past these days without parents bringing their children to me because they're concerned about underlying possible ADHD, a very common presentation in primary care, isn't it? And what do we do next for Michaela? Would we refer her to a pediatric dietitian? Would we refer her to paediatric ANT? Would we refer her to CAMS? Or would we just reassure our parents that this is simple snoring? So sadly, we're in an era where we need to talk about obstructive sleep apnea in children, driven by a paediatric obesity epidemic. And this is a hot topic for us in primary care. We had two recent articles published, a 10-minute consultation published in the BMJ during 2017, and a clinical intelligence article published in the BJGP also during 2017. And it's commoner than we think. 1-4% to of children can be affected by OSA and can have quite serious sequelae, right ventricular hypertrophy and core pulmonale, and systemic hypertension if untreated. Two types we need to be aware of, simple OSA, which is secondary to adenotonsillar hypertrophy in children with no real other significant past medical history of note. And then we have complicated OSA, which is secondary to another medical condition, such as obesity, craniofacial abnormalities such as cleft palate, Down syndrome, or other neuromuscular conditions such as cerebral palsy or Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. The key take-home message, though, for us all working in primary care is that the presentation of paediatric OSA is different to that of OSA in adults. OSA in children is more likely to present with behavioural problems, poor attention and reduced academic performance rather than daytime sleepiness like we see in adults. So what are we looking for in the history of someone like Michaela? At night, we're looking for snoring, we're looking for disturbed or fitful sleep, 
Parents might witness obstructive apneic episodes. And in this era of smartphones, parents can simply video these episodes and show us in surgery. Secondary enuresis can be a clue. So if Michaela was dry at night and then starts wetting the bed again, this can be associated with OSA. Children with OSA can arch their neck at night to try and unobstruct their airways. So this can also be a clue. And of course, take any parental concern seriously. During the day, children may be irritable or excessively tired. They may be a mouth breather. And a useful way to test this is to put a spoon under the nose and look for misting or the absence of misting. There might be a nasal quality to speech and there might be evidence of developmental delay or behavioral problems. And another key take-home message for us all in primary care, which has really changed my practice, is that 25% of OSA in children presents with symptoms of ADHD or poor school performance. So those many children that are brought in to see me with possible ADHD, I'm now looking a wee bit harder for underlying symptoms or signs of OSA. So this has been a real practice-changing point for me in primary care. On examination, look for growth, the growth centiles, look for any syndromic features, any craniofacial abnormalities, look for mouth breathing as mentioned, and also look for stertor. This was a new word in my vocabulary. Stertor is quite a coarse inspiratory noise, a little bit like snoring but during the day. Do an ENT examination, looking for any nasal obstruction, looking for tongue and tonsillar size, and look for evidence of otitis media and glue ear. Uh, there's an association between OSA in children and glue ear. So what can we do for children like Michaela and how can we support uh, Michaela's parents? Well, if this is uncomplicated snoring with no additional symptoms or features or OSA, we can reassure Michaela's parents that she's likely to simply grow out of this. However, children with a history of snoring and additional features of OSA do need referred to ENT. And often, an adenotonsillectomy will help the vast majority of simple OSA. If it's complicated OSA, OSA secondary to another medical condition, then we should refer to our general paediatric colleagues. And as always, take every opportunity to reinforce the all-important lifestyle advice, particularly weight loss, not just for Michaela, but for the whole family. And the British Lung Foundation actually has some great resources for us as HCPs to support Michaela and her family, but also for families with children diagnosed with OSA. And these resources can be found at www.blf.org.uk. So what should we do for Michaela then in primary care? Well, she does have possible features of OSA, doesn't she? Those large tonsils, that disturbed uh, behavior. So perhaps in the first instance, we should refer her to pediatric ENT for consideration of an adenotonsillectomy. So thank you all for listening. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcasts, which are available on all major platforms. Get in touch via social media if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to notch up some CPD points, register for one of our GP Notebook Clinic events, and also to download free resources and shortcuts to make our lives a wee bit easier, but ultimately to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. The topic of our next podcast will be key take-home messages 
from the updated NICE Hypertension Guideline published during August 2019. And I look forward to speaking to you then. <laughs>